When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Before the war, there were 80,000 American troops in Europe on rotational or permanent orders. Now, there's more than 100,000. We will sustain what we're doing, not just next month, the following month, but for the remainder of this entire year. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. No one case senator can stand in for it. I'm not asking you that. I'm asking if you regret this sentence. Nobody's going to steal that joy. You have earned this spot. You are worthy. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden meets with NATO in Brussels and calls for Russia to be kicked out of the G20. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as Vladimir Putin watches from Moscow and the war in Ukraine hits the one-month mark today, we'll be joined by Angela Stent, professor emerita at Georgetown University, author of Putin's World. Later, we'll talk with Congressman Andy Levin, Democrat from Michigan who serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and a special panel today, Joel Rubin, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, along with Brett Bruin of the Global Situation Room, as we keep our view abroad here with foreign affairs driving the conversation in Washington. President Biden today started his day in Brussels with an extraordinary, as it's called, an extraordinary summit of NATO's 30 members, issued a statement calling on all countries, including China, to, quote, abstain from supporting Russia's war effort in any way and refrain from any action that helps Russia circumvent sanctions. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, whose term was just extended for another year today, again warned of a possible chemical weapons attack by Russia in Ukraine. Any use of chemical uh, weapons will um, uh, totally change the nature of the conflict. It will be a blatant violation of international uh, law, and um, uh, it will have uh, widespread consequences. The group of seven leaders then warned Vladimir Putin against using chemical or nuclear weapons. And President Biden told reporters when asked in a news conference you heard live on Bloomberg that Russia should be kicked out of the G20. My answer is yes. That depends on the G20. Um, I, that, that was raised today. And uh, I raised the possibility if that can't be done, if Indonesia and others do not agree, then we should, in my view, asked to have both uh, um, Ukraine uh, be able to attend the meetings. Virginia Senator Mark Warner, who chairs the Intelligence Committee, weighed in on that idea today on Bloomberg's balance of power. If Vladimir Putin is still 
killing innocent civilians in Ukraine literally months from now, uh, I don't see how any so-called civilized nation would allow him to participate in any kind of group or meeting of world leaders. Let's bring in Angela Stent now, Professor Emerita of Government and Foreign Service at Georgetown University, author of the book Putin's World and has been looming large in this conversation, certainly here on Bloomberg Radio. Angela, welcome back. As Vladimir Putin watches these meetings, hears talk of being tossed out of the G20, considers the new sanctions announced, will he view all of this as an escalation? Yes, I mean, I think it will reinforce his view that the West is out to get him, his narrative to the Russian people that the U.S. and NATO were using Ukraine as a way of uh, trying to invade Russia. So this is just going to reinforce everything uh, that he believes, and he would see this as an escalation. He's already seen the sanctions that we've imposed as an escalation. What does that mean for his near-term strategy, then, uh, if I can use that term, strategy? (laughs) Yeah, we're we're not quite sure what the strategy is because it isn't going so well. Um, You know, the the concern that was expressed today that since he's not getting – uh, where he wants to be in Ukraine, and since the Ukrainians are really resisting, would he resort then to using uh, chemical weapons, for instance, um, and seeing whether he can achieve his aims, which is the surrender uh, by President Zelensky, the surrender to Russia, uh, would he try using those or some other form of uh, WMD, or even, as he has sort of threatened to do, um, a tactical nuclear weapon? Do these warnings then mean anything to him or embolden him, make him want to do this more? When you hear from President Biden, from Jens Stoltenberg, warning or the G7 against doing the very thing they expect he'll do. Well, the question is, he's not sure what they would do in, you know, what NATO, for instance, would do in return, in retaliation, if he did use a chemical weapon. So I guess that kind of strategic ambiguity, keeping him guessing, that could be also more of a deterrent. Uh, that's certainly what it's supposed to be. Uh, the threat of sanctions didn't deter him from invading Ukraine, no. but possibly the threat of retaliation might. The latest round of sanctions targets lawmakers, as you know, uh, mm-hmm. members of the Russian parliament, if I can call it that, the Duma. Are they close <laughs> enough? Are those lawmakers close enough to Vladimir Putin to apply any pressure or is that a symbolic move? No, no, that's a symbolic move. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, I mean, they also um do what the Kremlin tells them to do. So the fact that they're sanctioned and a lot of other people clearly in the Kremlin are sanctioned, that's not going to have any impact on what Putin does. We've asked you a few times, Angela, over the course of this war about Putin's intentions and realizing no one can get inside his head. But you know him better than most. Now that we're a month into this today, the Russian advance is stalled. Thousands of Russian troops have been killed. I've seen numbers as high as 15,000. Yeah. Is there any turning back for Vladimir Putin or, or Ukraine must fall? I don't think there's any turning back. The The best possibility would be that at some point he's willing to accept a negotiated settlement. There are negotiations going on right now, but they are at a low level. And from the Russian point of view, they're not serious. I think yeah. the Ukrainians are serious about it. Uh, so, you know, neutrality for uh, Ukraine with some kind of security guarantees. Then we get into the question of, would Ukraine recognize, you say that Crimea is part of Russia, that the Donbass region is independent? I mean, there are things that can be negotiated where Putin could come out and say, well, we won. Ukraine's yeah. never going to join NATO. We're not there yet. Is it foolish to believe that these talks could bring at least a ceasefire, if not something more permanent? 
they could um, bring a ceasefire. Again, if the Russians are serious about it, unfortunately, today, one of the negotiators, the head of the negotiating group, made some very inflammatory statements. So um, it's hard to see where that goes. But one would hope that at least a ceasefire could come out of them in a few weeks, maybe. Well, I'll tell you, the near term uh, looks pretty ugly, uh, Angela, as we've yeah. seen uh, as we've seen the, the, the sanctions take place. Vladimir Putin becoming more desperate. There's talk of him feeling cornered. Is he more dangerous now than he was a month ago? It's possible that he is. Uh, the only thing to counter that would be that we heard, hear rumors of uh, not everyone is happy in the camp around him. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to impact on, on him. But he wants us to think that he's more dangerous. <laughs> what would move him then, Angela Stent? If, if, is it people in the streets or is it the people in his inner circle for, to, to whatever extent that, that exists? Well, if people in, enough people in his inner circle were to really you know, tell him, let's rethink this and try and persuade him to do something different. But we, again, we don't have too much evidence that the people in his inner circle are going to tell him things he doesn't want to hear. And uh, so that, that, that's where, you know, you get stuck on, on trying to understand how he gets beyond this. President Biden spent some time uh, today talking about sanctions and suggested that they were never intended to be a deterrent. I'm not sure if you heard the language he used in that news conference, but we heard for weeks that that's why the administration was holding off on some of the most uh, difficult sanctions, because they wanted to hold that as a deterrent. Would either move have been more effective with Vladimir Putin if they had slammed him with sanctions up front? Would it have changed his behavior uh, as opposed to waiting? I don't think so. I think he was determined to do it. You know, they, were, they started massing the troops there in October, and all of our intelligence people thought that that's what they were going to do. There was going to be a full-fledged uh, invasion. I think maybe he didn't realize how extensive the sanctions would be or that the Europeans would go along with these very extensive sanctions. But I don't really think that imposing them before the war started would have stopped the war. President Biden also suggested today that Vladimir Putin had no clue what ramifications, what kind of impact this would have, the side effects in Europe. This is what he said. Putin was banking on NATO being split. My early conversation with him in December and early January was clear to me he didn't think we could sustain this cohesion. NATO has never, never been more united than it is today. Putin is getting exactly the opposite what he intended to have as a consequence of going into Ukraine. What do you suspect, Angela Stent, the, the psychological impact that has had on Vladimir Putin? Well, I think it's, it's made, it, it must have made him at least rethink some of his premises, that uh, he really didn't believe that there would be transatlantic unity. I think it would also make him realize that maybe, you know, the U.S. is stronger than he thinks. He looked at us. He looked at what happened in Afghanistan. He saw the difficulty that the Biden administration was having getting any, any of its legislative agenda through. So he thought the U.S. was weak, distracted, and couldn't come up with a coherent foreign policy. He was wrong there. Boy, I guess so. Angela Stent, <laughs> senior advisor to the Center for Eurasian, Russian, East European Studies, Professor Emerita, Georgetown University. The book, of course, Putin's World. Really appreciate it, Angela, having you back. And I look forward to the next time we get to speak. Of course, part of the whole, well, pomp and circumstance, even though this was far from a celebration today in Brussels, but a, an extraordinary summit of NATO nations 
of course has to come with the family photo. Your Excellencies, if I can ask you to look into the camera for five seconds. Hold it. Suck it in. Wait, which camera? Somebody tell you which camera we're in. Yes, that camera. That's the camera. Thank you very much. And we another one for posterity. To your left and walk into room and one. And indeed, meet you in room one here on Bloomberg. Sound on. Love those pictures, though. Did you see they have them all lined up, kind of diagonal? Nobody looked quite ready for the photo. How could you do that with 30 people? But there it is. The family photo for the NATO summit this March 24, 22. Coming up on Sound On, there is progress, and you can read about this on the terminal. This is not getting as much attention because of what's happening uh, with the foreign trip, but there's progress on sanctions on Capitol Hill. Appears to be a bit of a breakthrough in the Senate. The House already passed a bill. The Senate's working on its, remembering this would revoke normal trade relations with Russia and would also ban Russian oil and gas. Even as President Biden says, though, that sanctions are not meant to deter Vladimir Putin. We're going to talk about this with Congressman Andy Levin coming up next on the fastest hour in politics. And we'll check the markets and traffic for you as well. Stay right where you are. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Glad you're here. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We're still waiting for Congress to produce a final sanctions package of its own. The administration has been directing this so far, but things have been bogged down in the Senate. And as I read on the terminal, senators agree on Russian oil ban. It's a breakthrough. Or is it? Disputes stall trade bill, I read as well. There are two different paths here. That's the move. With regard to trade, the move to revoke normal trade relations with Russia, the president called for that a couple of weeks ago, needs Congress to actually do it now. That's separate from legislation to ban Russian oil and gas. And we're joined now by Congressman Andy Levin, Democrat from Michigan, who serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Congressman, I know you already passed a bill in the House to ban Russian oil imports. There's now an agreement, apparently in the Senate, though, to revise the, the language in that bill and set standards for when the president could resume those oil imports. Is that something that you would support? 
Well, we'll have to look at it, Joe. Anytime the Senate does anything, I cheer. So I'm glad huh. that they're finally taking this up and getting something done. You know, the legislative process involves back and forth and give and take. So let's see what they're proposing. But we've got to ban the, the use of Russian oil in the United States. And so let's get it done. That's my opinion. The, the version crafted by leadership in the Senate Finance Committee would allow the president to resume Russian oil imports if Russia ceases aggression against Ukraine, recognizes its independence, and does not pose a threat to NATO. Could any of those happen, though, without regime change in Russia? That's a really good question, Joe. But I don't just I'm I'm only reacting to what you're saying, right? Because yeah. I haven't read it. I understand. But those kind of first of all, it says he may. Right. And it's it's permissive language. And then I think those are reasonable, you know, reasonable conditions on the face of it. Uh, whether, you know, right now we've got a megalomaniacal autocrat leading Russia. He can't even see what's happening in the world because he's so isolated. He completely misjudged the bravery and strength and preparedness of the Ukrainian people and military. He completely misjudged his own military's readiness and capability. Um, he, he misjudged the, how the whole world would react. So um, it's very hard to predict what Vladimir Putin will do, sure. but we have to box him in as much as possible. Uh, Congressman, uh, I want to ask you about something the president said today in Brussels. I, I don't know if you saw his news conference that, that, that raised some questions when asked if the sanctions uh, that were announced today and those that have already been announced would deter Vladimir Putin. Here's what the president said. Let's get something straight. You remember, if you covered me from the very beginning, I did not say that, in fact, the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. The maintenance of sanctions... The maintenance of sanctions, the increasing the pain and the demonstration why I asked for this NATO meeting today is to be sure that after a month we will sustain what we're doing, not just next month, the following month, but for the remainder of this entire year. That's what will stop it. Okay, Congressman, I'm so I'm so glad you're here for this. Democrats had been arguing with Republicans about the, the timeline right on sanctions and said for weeks that we should wait to impose sanctions so they could deter Vladimir Putin's behavior. Otherwise, the idea was he would have no motivation to stop if we front-loaded all of this. So what am I missing here when it comes to sanctions do not deter? Well, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not really um, that into parsing the president's words. I support the president's actions. I mean, the president of the United States, so was it right unified, to wait to imply to, to impose sanctions? Oh yes, oh yes. So regardless of, 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 of the discussion right now, it does most historians, most military analysts, certainly our own military folks uh, at the highest levels did not think it made sense to impose harsh sanctions beforehand because then he has nothing to lose. We already did the bad thing to him, so he'll go ahead. I, I, um, I understand so I the think, rationale. I think that yeah, I think that's what the president's referring to. But I, I think it could lead to confusion now because obviously now we are trying to impact, uh, yeah. you know, Vladimir Putin's behavior. And look, the, the severity of these sanctions, and there's really no way to talk about them without the global nature of them. 
how many countries are participating. How many companies are stepping up and saying, we're right. out of Russia? I mean, it's just astounding. Yeah, the self-sanctioning has been... It's been remarkable. It's been a remarkable part of this story, and it's been a big part of the story for Bloomberg, of course, as we cover, uh, you know, the, 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 the political and corporate side of things. Uh, but this was an argument that was had on this program and across our platform for weeks, Congressman, which is why I ask you about it. And the president today was pretty clear about it here again. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about they that. They never deter. Sanctions never deter. But maybe I'm misunderstanding what he meant. I realize you don't want to parse his words, but the messaging from the Democratic Party has been very clear on this. Yeah, no, I, I, I think um, I, I really don't know exactly what he was saying, and I didn't hear the whole thing. I don't know the context. But I'll just tell you what I think, Joe, yeah. which is that we are seeing history change before our eyes. Countries are changing their postures that they've held for decades and even centuries, Switzerland, Germany, um, you know, Finland. I mean, in terms of whether it's their military expenditures, whether it's moving off neutrality, whether it's possibly joining NATO. So I think that whatever the exact words are, um, Joe Biden is is uniting the world in this. And the the effectiveness of sanctions depend on everybody working together. And that's what's so encouraging to me. We're deeply curious to see what the House and Senate can get together on, Congressman. We'd love to stay in touch with you on it. Andy Levin of Michigan Foreign Affairs Committee right here on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. To deter or not to deter is the question today in Brussels where new sanctions are announced. President Biden saying they were never intended to deter Vladimir Putin. Yet the cumulative effects he seems to suggest will as this war continues now at the one month mark today. And coming up, we'll assemble our special foreign policy panel with Joel Rubin, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, and Brett Bruin, Global Situation Room President, former Director of Global Engagement at the White House. Headline on the terminal, big splash today from Brussels. Biden calls for Russia to be removed from G20. We talked about it with Angela Stent earlier. Uh, This is not up to Joe Biden, by the way. The G20 will need to think about this because you might have seen this report yesterday. Vladimir Putin's thinking of showing up at the G20 meeting. He may not be part of the G20 by the time there is one. As we assemble our foreign policy panel today, a conversation that I've been looking forward to with two voices you've heard and two of the smartest minds on geopolitics here on Sound On. Joel Rubin is with us, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, was in the Obama and Bush administrations, the co-host of Really Americans' new foreign policy podcast, Warning Shot, along with Brett Bruin. Global Situation Room President, former Director of Global Engagement at the White House. Thanks to both of you for being here. Uh, Joel, throwing Russia out of the G20 might not seem like a lot following, you know, the the disconnecting of Russia's economy from the rest of the world. Of course, the sanctions that have uh, come from uh, the United States and NATO countries. Uh, would kicking him out of the G20 be a message that Vladimir Putin could deal with? He seemed to want to go to this meeting. Would he see that as an escalation? <laughs> Joe, um, you know, what? what, what is it? Uh, one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. Uh, it would it would be a, a, a nice kick out for him. Uh, yeah. He is still smarting from 
getting kicked out of the G8, uh, the G7, as it is appropriately right. known right now. So right? that would get and, under his skin a little bit. It, it, it would it would be a very good symbol. And it, of course, has practical effects, which are that these organizations, G20, makes uh, policy amongst itself and then sort of sets the, the policy for the rest of the world by organizing mm-hmm. amongst itself. So he would be out of that room, not at the table. An- another loss. Another loss and more isolation for, for Vladimir Putin. Uh, Brett, I don't know if you, you heard my conversation with Congressman Levin about the sanctions, but I'm still scratching my head, and I'd love for both of you to weigh in on this. The president today saying that sanctions were never designed to deter Vladimir Putin's behavior, which would run against uh, everything that we heard from not only the administration, but Democrats on Capitol Hill who argued for weeks with Republicans that front-loading sanctions, imposing them now, Uh, would be the wrong move. And this is the president again today. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. Is the story changing, Brett? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this isn't about face by the administration, because for months we were told, as uh, you mentioned, that we had to keep the threat of sanctions there in order to try to dissuade uh, Putin from pursuing this course. And now, obviously, that it didn't work, uh, there is an attempt to repaint the picture. Uh, Unfortunately, and this is where, while it's good, it's important that we are taking uh, these additional steps on sanctions, we have to take a step back and look at to what effect. Um, Because simply doing more and more sanctions, I don't know, is uh, either sufficient And in some cases, it it may end up, as we've seen before, having unintended consequences. And what I'm looking for is what other uh, tools can we use to put pressure on the Kremlin, put pressure on Putin personally? I'm not seeing a lot of those. What do you make of uh, this, Joel? Is is the message changing from the White House or or are we uh, trying to make up for lost time here? I'm confused. Yeah, no, I I actually don't see this uh, as inconsistent at all with what the White House has been saying for for these months. Uh, They don't stop. Sanctions don't stop an invasion from happening. And and the intent was to make sure that Putin knew the choices were going to be severe and and impactful. And he was willing to take that risk. And I think what he realizes now is that it's grinding down his economy, grinding down his military industrial base. They can't get resupply into theater. Uh, we have a concurrent strategy to sanctions, though, which is yeah. backfilling and supporting the Ukrainian military, obviously not with the no-fly zone, and, and that is a separate issue, but really yeah. sending in javelins and other kinds of equipment. That, uh, that, that's, I think, where we're, where we're looking at uh, But why not deterrence. just do it? If, if they could never deter, which we were told holding back on them would do, why not just send everything up front, get these guys fortified, put the jets in, do whatever you need to do, javelins or... Uh, whatever ground air systems we're talking about here and be ready for an invasion instead of waiting for one. Well, you know, it's not that they weren't ready and it's not, obviously Ukraine was, was ready to a significant extent. I mean, the Russia has been ground down after a month of fighting, they've lost nearly 40,000 troops and, and the sanctions were powerful and high impact. I think the hope was, and and obviously hope is, is, is a, a difficult word to use in this case, but the hope was that Putin would have seen the light and not made that move to destroy his own economy and, and kill 40,000 of his, his troops and get stuck in a quagmire, but he did. And, and so the, the sanctions were heavy, hard-hitting, 
but we have allies and we can't do them unilaterally. We don't have the ability to control Russia's economy on our own. We need Europe. And so part of the getting Europe on board component to this was uh, seeing what would happen. And now that they've seen what would happen, we've seen Germany react and double its military assistance, cancel Nord Stream 2, and, and it's ongoing. And so the meetings today, tomorrow, at the G20 are going to be continual rolling out. But I, I do agree. I think that sanctions alone cannot stop the physical invasion by a country, but it has to make the cost so high that they recognize that that, when combined with the military support, is just too much and they have to withdraw. Putin's not there yet, though, unfortunately. I understand your point of view, Joel, but I mean, that that was the argument between Democrats and Republicans. Hit them now or use or hold them as a deterrent. So I'm just I was I thought that was noteworthy today. Brett, does the White House need to clean that up? Yeah, and let me quote uh, Secretary Antony Blinken on this. This is January 23rd of this year. When it comes to sanctions, the purpose of those sanctions is to deter Russian aggression. Hmm. So you can't have it both ways. And I think we've seen this White House, whether it's on Afghanistan or now on Russia, try to do a two-step. And they've got to level both with the American people as well as with our allies and understand what is the plan? I, you know, I, I don't see it from what has come out of Brussels today of how we get out of this mess. Hmm. Simply, you know, adding more sanctions on, trying to, uh, you know, put um, the statements out isn't going to end it. Even yeah. the resupply of the Ukrainians, we got to do more. Several, uh, we don't, several we Republican don't members of the alone. Senate agree with uh, Brett, and I, I want to ask both of right. you about this. Politics stopping at the water's edge, not so much uh, this never. time. Joel and Brett are with <laughs> us for the rest of the hour, our foreign policy panel on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It was Republican Senator Arthur Vandenberg, who as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee many decades ago said politics stops at the water's edge. You know that line? Well, that was back during the Truman administration. And of course, a few things have changed as we reassemble the panel 
With Joel Rubin, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, served in the Obama and Bush administrations, and Brett Bruin is here too. Global Situation Room President, former Director of Global Engagements in the Obama White House. It's great to have both of you here, and I just couldn't help but to see this, some of the statements and the tweets today uh, criticizing uh, President Biden. Ben Sass, the mild-mannered senator from Nebraska, had one that says, talking more about unity or anything else will not help Ukraine defeat Russian invaders. The president still needs to outline a strategy for Zelensky to win and Putin to lose. Uh, Lindsey Graham took it to another level. On Twitter, a month into this fight for freedom, President Biden has yet to embrace victory for Ukraine and has no coherent strategy to bring that about. He is always playing catch-up and explaining what he will not do. So much for the water's edge, Joel. Who is this helping? <laughs> well, first of all, I want to know where they were during four years of Donald Trump's presidency when, when they let President Trump give uh, away the sword of Vladimir Putin diplomatically and uh, supported him in the, uh, in the impeachment uh, for extorting, uh, trying to extort political favors from Zelensky for blocking military aid. So uh, well, how it's about just now, pure partisan politics. Okay. Well, look, yeah, President but, but, Biden has a strong strategy. And and the thing about it is that Congress hasn't yet passed a bill. They can't even pass a bill to prevent uh, Americans from buying Russian oil and gas. That is true. The president called for a couple of weeks ago. So Congress, this is what Congress does. I love Congress. I worked with Congress for years, but um, sure. usually when they can't get their own work done, they complain about the president not being able but to But politics do stops job. at the water's edge. Is that, I mean, am I just being old fashioned, Brett? And I realize the answer might be yes. Uh, we're just beyond that now. It doesn't matter anymore. Well, and this is one of those issues where you're seeing a surprising level of common ground between Democrats and Republicans. But I uh, would say that the president uh, does have to lay out a plan both for how ultimately we will try with our allies to bring this crisis to a close as well. And I think this is critically important. We start talking about uh, what we will do to rebuild Ukraine, because mm -hmm. that is a motivator for the Ukrainians, especially if we are not going to go in and take up the fight. We have to give them something to fight for. Mm -hmm. uh Look, there's a lot that we can say about this, Joel, but does it weaken the president abroad, this kind of talk? Oh, I, I think it, it hurts him to a certain extent, but I think the president's strengthened America's image abroad by leaps and browns, not just image, but actions. Uh, we've never seen a more unified NATO. We have our allies supporting us in military activities across, uh, across Europe and in, in, in supporting the Ukrainian yeah. uh, military right now on sanctions. So... It hurts him a little bit, but I think that uh, overseas people understand as well that American politics is American politics. This president okay. has a strong position right now. Well, he was asked about this today. It was actually a pretty interesting exchange during the news conference. It didn't take a lot of questions, by the way. He had his prepared remarks, and of course he had his list. Uh, and uh, I think three people were called, including our very own Josh Wingrove, standing up there talking to the president. It's a proud moment for a, see a, to see a colleague overseas. Uh, one of the one of the questions, though, asked the president about the potential for Donald Trump to be reelected and what uh, the his his European allies as an American uh, were, were concerned about America being back, but only for so long that we could revert back to this sort of antagonistic relationship with our NATO allies in as little as two years. Uh, the president had a, an interesting 
response to that question. The first G7 meeting I attended, like the one I did today, was in Great Britain. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And one of, the, one, one of my counterparts, colleagues, the head of state, said, for how long? For how long? And so I don't blame, I don't, I don't criticize anybody for asking that question. But uh, uh, the next election, I'd be very fortunate if I had that same man running against me. Whoa. Okay. You got the last four seconds of that? Let me, one more time. The next election, I'd be very fortunate if I had that same man running against me. Says uh, from the stage in Brussels, he'd be fortunate to run against Donald Trump again. Joel, do you agree? Well, he beat him by over 7 million votes the first time. And so, uh, you know, there's no reason to think he wouldn't do it again. Was he bothered uh, by that Trump- question? Why go there at a, at a, at a NATO <laughs> summit? Well, I, I, I think what we're seeing is, is Joe Biden is doing a lot of cleanup of Donald Trump's mess over the past year in, <laughs> in Europe. And, and so he is evincing a position that says, I'm here for you and the U.S. is here for you. And I beat that guy. In fact, I can beat him again. And, and maybe it's a taunt, but that's Joe Biden. He, he definitely has a, a good edge to him when he wants to get mix it up in politics. That's over two years away, uh, Brett. Is it is it, uh, is, is it a waste of time for the commander in chief to be sending messages like this on a trip to, to Brussels surrounded by our NATO allies? Yeah, this was neither the time nor the place to try and pick fights with your predecessor, let alone to try to goad him into uh, a a fight. The fight has to be focused on Vladimir Putin. And and that's the responsibility of our commander-in-chief in these moments of global crises, to keep the country focused in that direction. And it's one of the things that um, Biden, I do think, needs to step up his game in reaching out across the aisle and trying to build a strong coalition. And look, this will ultimately benefit Democrats if he can show that he is able to work alongside Republicans when it comes to critical threats facing the country. So let's leave some of uh, the deep well, shots back here in Washington. I, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm sorry, with all due respect, uh, as soon as Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine, Donald Trump called him a genius. So that was an egregious uh, uh, statement by but a former president. Let's separate Trump and, from the party he, in and, Washington right now, though, well, Joel. No, but he spoke about Donald Trump in, in this quote. And so I think he was making very clear to the Europeans. He didn't he, he rejected that forcefully. I, okay, uh, but point, the point taken there. But how about Brett's yes. point about working with Republicans in Washington on sanctions on Ukraine, et cetera? Has he not done enough? Oh, I, I think on Ukraine, uh, you're seeing tremendous amount of, of bipartisan cooperation, uh, a lot of engagement from the White House. There have been fights on foreign policy without a doubt, uh, and on many issues, including uh, in the Judiciary Committee yesterday and the Supreme Court nominee. Uh, but yeah, it, we've got 90 plus percent, I think, in this country supporting uh, tough action against Vladimir Putin. It's a bipartisan issue. There are extremists on the Republican side who have been siding with Putin publicly. Yeah. Uh, and they've been isolated and condemned by their own leadership, uh, in a, which is, is a strong signal to Europe that Americans are united in support uh, against Vladimir Putin. Brett, are you talking symbolic unity or are we talking about a more aggressive sanctions package? What would, to, your, to, to use your, your point, working with the other side of the aisle uh, produce that we don't already have? Yeah, I think, look, as I was saying earlier, we're going to need to put forward a Marshall Plan 
Esque uh, agenda for how re- Ukraine, and for that matter, how uh, the rest of, of Eastern Europe can be strengthened, can be rebuilt after this crisis. That work has to start now. We have to start looking at what it is going to take. And I think it's an area in which the president and Republicans can work together. We also, as, as I was saying at the outset, need to look at other steps beyond just sanctions, beyond just uh, the symbolic gestures that we've taken. We've got to rebuild some of that capacity for public diplomacy, for uh, ensuring that in these moments of, of global threat, we have the structures in order to push back against disinformation. What a great panel. I love talking to you guys. Joel Rubin, Brett Bruin, this needs to happen again. Our foreign policy panel, thanks to both of you for being here. Joel's former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, Obama and Bush administrations. Brett had experience in the Obama White House as Director of Global Engagement and as President and of the, I should say, Global Situation Room. Great talk. You don't hear conversations like these anywhere else. That's why you're here on the fastest hour in politics. And before it's over, I want to hear from Renita. March is Women's History Month, and we've been doing this every day. Significant moments in women's history. Let's turn now to our installment for Thursday, March 24, with Renita Young. On this day in women's history in 1996, Shannon Lucid becomes the first female U.S. astronaut to live aboard a space station. She entered the Russian space station Mir from the U.S. space shuttle Atlantis. And while on board the Mir, Lucid helped complete several physical science and life science experiments. She returned to Earth on September 26 of that year. After completing her fifth mission, Lucid had logged more than 223 days in space. She received her Bachelor of science degree in chemistry from the University of Oklahoma. Then she earned a master's of science and doctor of philosophy in biochemistry. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. All right, Renita, thank you. I hope you'll meet us back here tomorrow. We'll have markets for you coming up. We'll check traffic as well. Thanks to everyone for coming in to sound on today. Angela Stent, of course, our panel with Joel and Brett and Congressman Andy Levin of Michigan. Great conversations all the way around. On another historic day, it will be tomorrow as well, as the president heads for Poland. We'll have a report from a refugee camp near the border of Ukraine. Only here on Sound On. I'll see you then. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.